this fall we have been in this series on the goodness of God, right? Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Psalm 119, 68, You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. We started several weeks ago with, with the truth that, you know, when we say God is good, if we're not careful, it's just cliché. What does that really mean when we say God is good? God is the essence of good and goodness. And then what, what, whatever God does is good. And for many of us, it's been already transformative because you have been challenged with a picture of God that He's angry, that He's busy, that He's distant, that He's just waiting for you to mess up. Right? And so... 12 weeks into God is good, some of you are finally, you know what, starting to believe it. You're starting to believe it. And how can I tell? Because you've got a smile on your face now. <laughs> God's not constantly mad at me? No, He's not constantly mad at you. You mean He's good? He's a good God? And He desires my good? Yeah. You mean He's for me? Yeah. He's in my corner, and he's, and, he's, and he's my biggest cheerleader. And, and when I do really good things, he's like, woohoo! And when I don't do really good things, he's like, come here. I love you. You need, to, you need to confess and repent of that. Okay, we're good again. Now get back out there. You see, many of us have, have really started to believe what the Bible has said all along, that he's good. And it started to permeate your lives. See, some of you have gone through trials in the last 12 weeks, and instead of being angry, instead of worrying, instead of being consumed with anxiety, you said, wait, time out. God is good. We learned that all things work for my good. He works all things for my good. Even the bad stuff ultimately works for my good. So some of you in the last 12 weeks have already begun to respond differently to your trials. Hmm. And, and now, in the last couple of weeks, we've begun to really examine God's goodness in light of this really kind of tough word because of all the baggage that we may have brought. God's goodness and repentance. You know, if we were to play a word association game, you know, if I give you a word, I say a word, and you would probably say the first word that comes to your mind. If I say repent, probably none of you would have said goodness. Not the first word that would come to mind when I say the word repent. Except if you've been here the last two weeks. Because the last two weeks we've begun to understand that repentance and to repent is rooted in, founded in God's goodness. Amen? See, and if you begin to, to allow that truth to sink in from here to here, your, your life can be radically transformed. Whether you're a, a, a new believer, whether you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. If you connect goodness and repentance, oh, for me personally, a lot of dots have been connected. I get a lot of different things that are like, oh, okay, I get that. I get how that's connected to that. So let's look at this, Romans 2, 4. Turn to Romans 2, 4. And let's, let's just launch off there. And again, we, we go really slowly here. 
just layer on layer. And Bill and Tyler keep telling me, slow down. We're not in a rush. And so... <laughs> and that part of that is my carryover from several years of youth ministry and children's ministry where you get into this, you know, we've got to do a four-week can program, and then they're going to want the next thing, and then they're going to want the next thing. And if you're not careful... I do a four-week series, and then I move on to the next series. And some people are like, I'm still on week one. I'm still trying to figure out what you said four weeks ago, and now you move series on me? Right? So here, we're, we're not in a hurry. We, we just allow God to move us at His pace. The other thing that's important, if you've been with us at any length of time, is, is we really believe, okay, we believe that this is God's Word. It's inspired, it's authoritative, it's truth. So, so when we come here, uh, quite honestly, what we do is we open our Bibles and we look at what the Bible teaches. We look at what the Bible teaches. And that's, that, that's really important. And I just, I just, we can never um, make that cliche, especially in our culture and our time. So, so that's our starting point. That's our starting point. Is, is that's our belief about what Scripture is and why we say open your Bibles. Because it's not about me necessarily talking at you for 45 minutes with my opinions and my exhortations and my, 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 okay? Uh, around here, we often will say, well, let's look at what the Bible says. Well, what does God's Word say about that? Because that's all we have, amen? At the root, at the root, we have God's Word. And so that's, what we, that's our starting point. So Romans 2.4, or 2.1, let's go. He's talking to a Jewish audience, Romans 2.1, right? He has spoken in, in chapter 1 about Gentiles, who are living a life separated from God and, and, and their sinful lifestyle. In Romans 2, he begins to speak to a Jewish audience who were moral, good moral, synagogue-going people, right? Who would have a tendency to say, yeah, yeah, all those really bad people, all those really bad people, and point fingers. And so in Romans 2, uh, the Apostle Paul says, hey, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness or goodness, right, synonymous, God's kindness, His goodness, leads you toward repentance. It's His kindness and goodness that is designed to lead us to what we've, what we've been looking at, repentance. Now again, that's challenging because many of us thought it was God's fear, God's anger, and God's wrath that was supposed to be the primary driving point for us to repent. And in Romans 2, 4, He says, no, 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 no. God's kindness his goodness is leading you to repentance. What he's saying there, right, in, in, in 2.4, where he says, do you show contempt for? He says, hey, do you look down upon? Do you consider that of little value? His kindness, his benefits, right? His, where it says um, his tolerance. It means, hey, you know what? He's just called truce right now. He's just waiting. He's being tolerant. And his patience, which means, yeah, he, he's long-suffering. All of that is designed for us to go, oh, I get it. You are such a good, kind, loving God. You're merciful. 
I just want to give my life. I repent, God. In His kindness, tolerance, patience, goodness, that's designed to lead us to a change of mind. That's what He's saying here. What He's saying to the good moral church-going people is say, hey, let me, let me clue you in here, church-going people. Don't mistake that things are good in your life, that you're good with God. That's what they were doing. See, things were good. You know, they used to take material prosperity as God's blessing and all this kind of stuff. So what he's saying is, hey, you whose lives are pretty good and pretty comfortable, don't mistake that, that you're good with God. In fact, it's the opposite. All of that goodness and everything is designed for you to see God and then give your life to God. That's the point. That's what he's saying. So we connect God's goodness, his essence, with this word repentance, right? And in order to understand that, we've been looking at what repentance is not. Because many of us, you've heard repentance, you've seen people holding up placards with repent, right? Not a real popular word. Not real popular. A lot of it because there's just misunderstanding about what it means. So if you look in your notes, right? Biblical repentance is not primarily, okay, there's elements, but it's not primarily focused on remorse. Oh man, I feel really guilty about what I did. It's not regret. I feel really bad about the consequences of my actions. Biblical repentance is not primarily about resolutions. I'm going to try really, really hard. Right? New Year's Eve, coming up. Right? I really need to make resolutions. Because that's repentance. No, it's not really. Restitution. I'm going to make up for what I did. Reformation. I'm going to clean up my life. And I added this one, different from last week, recognition. Biblical repentance is not primarily recognition. I know, I know. You're right. There's things in my life I need to change. I know. Pastor, okay, give me this. I know. Okay, right? A lot of us think repentance is coming to the principal's office, codenamed pastor, him telling you all the bad stuff and pointing out all the things you're not doing. Okay. Now I'm going to go do them again because I just got penance. Right? See, why isn't biblical repentance any of these? Because you can have remorse, regret, you can make resolutions, you can do restitution, you can reform your life, you can recognize a whole lot of stuff in your life and still keep your sin. No change. All of this just is sort of lumped unto, well, <sighs> I'm just supposed to feel generally bad about it. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to tell someone and I'm going to feel really bad and I'm going to work through some stuff. But at the core, I'm going to keep it. I, I'm not really changing my mind about what I'm doing, but I'm going to experience a whole lot of bad feelings. See, Biblical repentance, it's, it's, it's as simple as this. Okay, not easy, but simple. Here's, here's the definition. It's in your notes, right? To have another mind, to change your mind upon reflection. So the word repent should be a very comfortable word in the church these days, honestly. Because we've seen over the last two weeks, who should still be repenting? If you should still be repenting, raise your hand. We all should be. 
we saw that repentance is not a one-off. It's not something you do just to get saved. That's, that happens. Repentance and faith happen together. Okay? But then we've seen that the word repent in the Bible is continual. It's a lifestyle. In fact, in Revelation, he, Jesus tells three churches to repent. Churches to repent. So it's not just a, oh, those really bad sinners need to repent. No, repentance applies to us as believers because being sheep and being battling with that sin nature in us, how many of us still find ourselves battling with changing our mind about things? Right? And so repentance, a life of repentance, guys, is simply a life that says, Lord, I want to remain open and sensitive to You speaking to my life through Your Word and the Holy Spirit about things I need to change. Might, might change my mind about. That's to repent, is to change your mind. Now, kind of, kind of go back to salvation so you understand it. Salvation. I was, years and years ago, I was at a church in San Diego, and on Thanksgiving... They opened up, they were on a middle school campus, and they would open up the campus, not just for meals, but the body of Christ. It was a big church, so they would do haircuts for homeless. They would have um, clothing, a whole room of clothes. They would do resumes. It was a big deal. It was, like, awesome. And so me and my buddy, you guys know Chaz, many of you know Chaz, he drove the church bus, and we said, we decided, let's go to downtown San Diego, run around the streets for an hour, invite all these homeless people to jump on the bus, come up to our campus, well, they can hang out, then we'll take them back. So I, let's go. So we go to downtown San Diego, and we're like, be back, and you know, we had it now, or whatever. So I'm running around just inviting people, see if they want to jump on the bus, it's over there. And I kid you not, an older guy, I talk to him, I tell him what we're doing, he looks up to me and goes, how do I become a Christian? Well, you know, we got this great Thanksgiving thing, and if you come on up, literally, his first words out of my mouth, he looks up and he goes, how do I become a Christian? What would you say? What would you have said if you had just a couple minutes because you're running behind? What would you say to somebody who asked you out here at lunch, well, how do I become a Christian? What would you say? What would you say? Right? Let's look real, let's turn to Acts. We're already in Romans. Let's turn to the book, next book to your left. Let's look at Acts 16. I believe it's 16. Acts 16. There's a story in Acts where there's a supernatural event where there's they're in jail. And we'll start in verse 26, right? It says, uh, or 25, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners and were listening to him. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all here! 
the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, we have service 9.30 and uh, (laughs) 9 o'clock. And and if you come to church with me, my, my pastor would love to talk to you. What would you say? What would you say? Look what he says. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Really? That's it? You see, believe in there, and, and, and let's turn to Acts, and let's just look at this because it's very important. Let's look at Acts. I'm sorry, Acts 20. Let's go to Acts 20. Apostle Paul speaking. Acts 20, 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, turning to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus, grammatically, that's the same action. It's not two separate things. Okay? Hmm. What does someone have to do to get saved? What does someone have to do to become a Christian? Right? They need to repent. What does that mean? They need to change their mind about something or about someone. What do they need to change their mind about? (laughs) Everyone's like, Doris, help us out here, Doris. Come on, Doris. Right? When, 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 When you present the gospel, in order for someone to be saved in the simplest most concise form, they need to repent. What does that mean? They need to change their mind about who Jesus is. To repent at the point of salvation, a repentance and faith, is to change your mind about who Jesus is. Because a lot of people believe he's a good moral guy. He was a philosopher. He's a, he's a religious prophet. A lot of people say that Jesus walked this earth and had some really good teachings. A whole lot of people don't believe He's Savior and Messiah. Amen? So at the core, to believe on Jesus is to repent, which means to change your mind about who He is. Simply change your mind about who the Lord Jesus is. Now, people say, is it really that simple? Well, if you understand the name Jesus is the Lord is salvation. So you need to go and you need to change your mind about your sinful condition that you need to be saved, right? That's included in changing your mind about Jesus, right? I had a friend who uh, straight up told me in college, "I don't need God." Then I shared about another friend, "I don't sin." I get what they were saying, but here's the thing: at the root, they needed to change their mind. You see, it was a change of mind that was needed. My one friend needed to change his mind that he really does need God. And my other friend needed to understand that we all sin and fall short of the glory. Amen? What we're talking about in repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of mind about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Okay, I'm starting to recognize it. Yes, I changed my mind about my condition before God. Now I changed my mind about Jesus 
and how that fits God's plan of salvation. Do you see the change of mind that's happening? It's a change of mind. Simply turn to John 3. Let's go to John 3. Let's go to another book to your left. And when I read John 3, very familiar verses in light of repentance and changing our mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, we overcomplicate it. We overcomplicate it. Look at John 3.16. Robert, I love your phone message, by the way. If you ever call Robert and get his voicemail, he recites John 3.16. Really cool. All right. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, right? We know this, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's keep reading. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Okay, he's talking about Jesus. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever believes, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What's the difference between being condemned and not being condemned according to the Bible? Believing or not believing? Repentance is the difference. If you don't repent, if you don't change your mind about who Jesus is, according to these verses, you're under God's condemnation already. If you change your mind about Jesus, belief, faith, however you want to say that, if you change your mind about who Jesus is as Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. So at the point of salvation, here's the thing. If someone asks you now, how do I get saved? How do I become a Christian? Well, you need to change your mind about who Jesus is. Who's Jesus? Get them to talk. Who, get them to talk about who Jesus is. See, we overcomplicate it, and we get all theological. And we get all, just ask them, who is Jesus? In Acts, when when Peter's speaking to right after Jesus got crucified, and, and you know the big movement of the Pentecost, Peter says, "Hey." You know that Jesus that you crucified? He's speaking to the Jews. You know that Jesus you guys crucified? He's actually Messiah. And then they say, what do we got to do? And the first word he says, repent. What was he saying? Hey, you know that guy you crucified that you thought was a false teacher and was a blasphemer? Well, actually, he was Messiah. So what do you have to do? Change your mind. In Acts 3, Peter says, hey, he's not a blasphemer. He's not a false prophet. He's Messiah. So just change your mind about who he is. That's the core of of when you come to a covenant relationship with God, when you repent, it's because you change your mind about Jesus. Now, again, inclusive of that is Lord is salvation, so you change your mind about your sinful condition. You change your mind about a need for a Savior. What did Jesus say? I came to seek and save that which was lost. My friend that says, I don't need God, in his mind, he's fine. In his mind, he doesn't need God because life is good, whatever, right? He needs a change of mind about his spiritual condition before God, and then he'll have a change of mind about Jesus. Amen? You see what I'm saying? So at the point of salvation, guys, it's about a change of mind of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And it's interesting because Scripture often says, believe on the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, Master, Owner. Jesus, the Lord is salvation. 
Christ, the Messiah anointed one. So if someone comes to me and isn't sure if they're saved, Pastor, I don't know. I've been at church for a while and, and I'm not sure I have my salvation is secure. You know the first question I'm going to ask him? Who is Jesus? Tell me what you believe about Jesus. Because according to the Bible, you believe on Jesus, you have eternal life. So it's a change of mind. That, that, that's, where we, that's the starting point. Now, we have learned that repentance also includes thus those of us who have been saved for a whole bunch of years. Because we constantly, what? Need to have a change of mind. Change of mind. Right? I shared with you uh, the story last week of a, of a young person who was seeking the Lord about social media and whether or not it was consuming her and whether or not it was beneficial. Because up until that point, it was just what everyone does, right? Everyone's just on Facebook. Everyone's on Instagram. Everyone's on social media. But there was a conviction from the Lord. It's like, Lord, is this, is this helpful for me? Is this beneficial? Is this productive? And through Scripture and through prayer, God said, no, you need, you need to make some adjustments. So while they, for a while, they took it completely off their phone and didn't even go on. And then little by little, you know, you, you go on with moderation and you put boundaries. What happened? There was a change of mind from something that was just taken for granted, something that was just, oh, nothing wrong, nothing wrong, to a conviction to God speaking to them and saying, no, you need to change your mind. Social media is not helpful or beneficial for you. Make some changes. What was that? Repentance. That was just, a, that was just an example of someone repenting. Having the, 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 the openness before the Lord to seek the Lord and say, Lord, is there something in my life as a believer that I need to change my mind about? That I need to change my mind about? You see the churches in Revelation that were called to repent? Here's the thing, guys. Often Jesus said, hey, you're doing a lot of good. It wasn't just all bad stuff. He says, hey, you're doing good, you're doing good, you're doing good. But this area, church, you need to repent. A lot of us who have been walking with the Lord, you're good people. Just are. You know? You're good, nice people. But the question for me, and this has really been a challenge for me personally, is, Lord, is my faith just about being a good, nice person? Maybe I need to repent about what I think Christianity is about. Maybe I need a change of mind. Let me ask you something. What is your ultimate goal and purpose as a believer when you wake up? What's your motive? Why do you do what you do? Because that may need to be repented of. Meaning, changed. See, the thing about the word repent is there's a stigma attached to it. And we feel all bad and all guilty. The more you say it, the more comfortable you're going to get, honestly. And you're not going to feel like, oh man, I'm such a loser. Oh man, you know. No, to repent means that God in His goodness shows you something in, in your life to help you. Amen? We talked about the mirror. You look in the mirror and you're glad 
that the imperfections are shown. Amen? You all looked in your mirrors this morning and were thankful that you had something in your life to show you imperfections before you went out. Amen? Right? Okay. Boom. There's your mirror. There's your mirror. And God wants us to remain open and say, Lord, show me things in my life that I need to change my mind about. That I just need to change my mind about. And at the core today, guys, I just want to ask you one question. We're going to just build on this. What is your purpose as a believer? What's the point? We put, we repented, we put our faith in Jesus. Now we're just supposed to what? For the rest of our life. What's the ultimate goal, right? Because for many, okay, and we tend to drift, okay? This is not, this is something that can happen over time. Many of us, if we're not careful, we have sort of slid into that as a believer, my ultimate goal is to be good and happy. See, we kind of buy in, and this, that's the world's value system. That's the world's value system, and we might have picked it up wherever. But if we're not careful, many of us, including me, our ultimate desire, and, and we were shooting for goodness and happiness. And then, when we define, I'm there, I'm good and I'm happy, we just, we coast. We arrive. We put it into cruise control. Because now, like I shared last week, we get to a level of goodness that the pastor finally leaves me alone. (sighs) I'm good. How you doing, Scott? I'm good. Oh, Scott's good. Okay. Let me look for someone who's not so good, right? (laughs) Isn't that what pastors do? They look for the ones that aren't so good, so I'm just going to get to a level of goodness. And so whenever he asks me how I'm doing, I can honestly say, I'm good which means leave me alone. Don't get in my business. Because we've cleaned up our life. We don't do the biggies anymore. We don't hang out with that crowd anymore. We, you know, there's been real change, real change. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. But then we just get to a level of goodness. And our ultimate goal as a Christian is to be good and happy. Is it? Is that what the Bible says? Hey, believe on the Lord Jesus and be good and happy. Now here's the crazy thing. There are churches with thousands of people in them right this morning. Let's that's, say that. Come to Jesus and you're going to be good and happy. And it gets filled up. We're not like that. <laughs> the Bible says that we are to be holy as I am holy. First Timothy says, exercise yourself unto godliness. Oh. Hmm. So here's the question. Are you pursuing happiness or holiness? Are you pursuing goodness or godliness? Two radically different lifestyles, guys. Two radically different approaches to your walk with Jesus. Goodness and happiness? Okay, if you raise your hand on this, I'm not going to think bad of you. How many here are good and happy? Okay! That's our culture. 
That's our culture. See, part of that's and that's also our struggle. You go to a third world country and they're struggling to put food on the table and they're meeting out in a grass hut and yada yada. Good and happy, they are in the Lord, but not necessarily materially. You get what I'm saying? That's our challenge. So many of us here, you're already good and happy, right? So why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to read my Bible? Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to go to Delta Group? Why do I need to go to women's Bible study? I'm good and happy. Now that women's thing, food and entertainment and social, I want to be more good and more happy. That's going to make me good and happy. You see? If we're pursuing good and happy, then that's what we're going to be looking for. That's going to be our priorities. What's going to make me good and happy? Church, make me good and happy. Oh, you teaching the Bible? Oh, that's convicting. Oh, you're calling me to change? Repent of things? Oh, that's not good and happy, Pastor. That's not good and happy. I want to go to the good and happy church. Let's look, right? Let's look for the good and happy. Happiness or holiness? Goodness or godliness? What? I, 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 I have been challenged with that. Even, even as a church. This church is a good and happy church. Don't mess it up! <laughs> we're good and we're happy. Good to see you, by the way. Welcome to the good and happy. <laughs> Even as a pastor, there's a tension. Because if we're pursuing godliness and holiness, ah, that might create some friction. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. We hold it like this. We're listening to God and being led by the Spirit. Right? We're not trying to maintain good and happy. We're pursuing godliness and holiness as a church and individually. That means we're kind of always in a constant change of openness to change. Amen? To change in a good way. In a good way. Okay? So that's that's the challenge. Let's, let's close with first. Let's go to First Timothy, and we're going to look at we're going to look at First Timothy, chapter four, Hebrews, James. I think I went too far. First Timothy is Second Timothy, Titus, Hebrews. All right, so it's to the left of Hebrews. First Timothy four. First Timothy four seven. First Timothy four seven. Says this have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather train yourself to be what? Godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So question. Do you need to make a change? Do you need to repent of what your ultimate purpose has been? If you've been pursuing goodness and happiness, to repent means, Lord, you say right here that I'm going to train myself, I'm supposed to train myself for godliness. First Peter says, be holy. Okay, I just need to repent. I don't need to beat myself up. I don't need to do all this crazy emotional gymnastics. I just need to what? Change my mind. 
I just need to make a change of my mind. Okay, Lord. I'm going to choose. Okay, it's a choice we make. Repentance is a choice. So some of us may need to choose this morning to go, oh man, I've been, I've been in goodness and happiness mode for a long time. Lord, this morning, based on your word, I'm going to turn, I'm changing my mind, and now my life is going to manifest a difference as I pursue godliness and holiness. Amen. Are you getting what I'm saying? A change of mind, repentance with a change of mind, will manifest itself. And I was reading, I was reading a, a, a wonderful article based on 1 Timothy 4, 7 right there. It says, Have nothing to do with godlessness and old wives' tale. Rather, train yourself to be godly. That word train, right? Let me ask you something. In your life as a believer, are you training or are you trying? Are you training or trying? This is maybe another repentance moment. How many of you have ever said, I'm trying to be godly? Anyone? I'm trying to be godly, but it feels like I'm climbing up an icy driveway. I make some progress, and I go all the way back. Anyone? But I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. What does 1 Timothy 4, say, 7 say to do? Train. You see, these two guys convinced me to ride this century last year. 100-mile ride. Now, I could have just shown up on the day of and tried my hardest. I could have, right? I could have just shown up and tried. And tried and tried and tried. And maybe died. Okay, thank you. Thanks, hon. No, like, finish really good. No, I would have died. I would have had to come get you. Right? I could have tried and died. But I had to make a choice. So I started the train for 12 weeks and progressively added mileage. If you're going to pursue godliness, is it because you're going to try or you're going to train? You see? That's where coming to church, the disciplines of reading, Bible study, Scripture, everything is the training. That's why you do it all. Because you're training unto godliness. That's how it all fits. But if you're in the mindset that I'm good and I'm happy, you don't need to train. That's why you don't. Why do, when, when you ask people, how come you don't go to church anymore? What is one of their common... They, they don't say it, but this is what they mean when they give an excuse. I'm good. I don't need church. Well, if you're pursuing goodness and happiness and you've defined your life as good and happy, sure you don't need it. But if you're training unto godliness, you better be here. Yeah. Because in Hebrews 10 it says, don't forsake the gathering, but we're to love and encourage one another unto good works. We come to church as part of the training unto godliness and holiness. Amen? You see how it all fits? And so some of us, if you, here's the crazy thing about repentance. When you make a change in one area, suddenly all these changes come down line. Oh my gosh, Lord, I need a change that I was about goodness and happiness. I'm changing the godliness and holiness. I'm changing going to church. I'm reading. I'm praying. You see, all these changes happen down line because of one moment of repentance way up there. 
So I put that out to you, and we're going to take, we're going to keep layering this. But I want to encourage you. Those who have been to the church, maybe this morning God is saying, "Is it goodness and happiness, or godliness and holiness?" And if you will admit, and, and if you're at the place of yes, you got me, God, then just repent. Just repent. Confess it. Change your mind. Put godliness and holiness there, and begin training. Amen. That's all we do. That's all we do. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for helping us to understand what the Bible teaches about repentance. Oh, Lord, it's a great Word. It's a good Word. Because You use it to keep us on track. You use it to tap us on the shoulder when we wander. Because You love us. And so we come to You this morning. And Father, if we have slid into pursuing goodness and happiness, we confess that. And we choose. We exercise the free will You have given us to choose to change our mind and train to godliness and holiness. Just simply make that change. And Father, if we're here this morning and... and Maybe the first step is is repentance in salvation. Maybe we're here this morning and we've never really settled the issue about who Jesus is. So maybe there's some this morning, Father, that need to, to believe on Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Maybe this morning there there are some that need to say, You know what? I believe in Jesus. I am choosing. He's not just a good moral teacher. He's not just a religious figure. He's not just a a philosopher. I choose to believe on Jesus as my Savior, as the Savior of the world who died for my sins. I choose that. I repent and I believe on Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that that would be their conviction and their belief. Simply a change of mind about who Jesus is. And so, Father, we thank You for our time together. And in this time of communion now, we would use it as an opportunity to remember Jesus, His love and His sacrificial death on the cross. And also a time, Lord, just a a time of prayer and and reflection and, and maybe a time of repentance, a changing of mind if necessary in our own personal life with You. So, Lord, we're thankful that we have the privilege to take communion each Lord's Day together. Amen.